welcome to the Wonder Years podcast, where we discuss principles and practices of nurturing a quiet growing time for children in the early years. In the midst of life's duties and delights, we can cultivate a richly humane life of truth, goodness, and beauty that feeds even the littlest of souls. I am your host, Amanda Foss, and together with my co-host, Brooke Johnson, we invite you to join us as we talk about how to prop homes that lead our children from wonder to worship to wisdom to work for the glory of God and the good of mankind. Let us make the education of the youths our own education and go further up and further in together. To be free is not, O modern man, to be rid of all claims upon your love, your duty, your person, and your substance. If that were true, then Charles Dickens crafted a truly blithe and free spirit in the unregenerate Ebenezer Scrooge, crouching alone in his dismal flat and eating gruel gone sour. If you are talking about freedom, and you are not talking about love and devotion, then you are not talking about freedom at all. You are talking about moral license, or a permission guaranteed by statutory law that you may in some regard do exactly as you like. Freedom is the unimpended capacity to attain to the perfection proper to the kind of creature you are. But since man is made in the image of God, who has three-person communion of love, his perfection, the enlargement of his soul, can only come by means of a gift, by the gift of grace from God which enables him to make of himself a gift to others. There is no truly human freedom without grace and the love that is its proper response. Anthony Esselin, The Good and the Ugly. Well, hello and welcome to the Wonder Years podcast. Today, we will finish our conversation on becoming a mother of virtue. We knew pretty quickly at the start of last episode that we would not finish all of these ideas in one episode. So today, this is part two. And if you have not listened to part one, we invite you to go back, start there, and then this will be the continuing conversation from that episode. But Amanda, how are you? I'm doing well. Like you said, it, it is funny that we are here re- recording a second uh, episode of this Becoming a Mother of Virtue because when we originally wrote the notes, our intention was to keep it uh, one episode. And yet, uh, like you said, suddenly the episode was going and we were 45 minutes in and had barely gotten started. So yeah, thankfully, you uh, landed that plane so beautifully and ended with a quote that I know brought me to tears. And I was just so impressed that you pulled that out of your back pocket. And so here we are getting to do a second episode. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the the exciting part of that is there's so much to talk about. Today, we're going to be talking about the going back to those four cardinal virtues and ordering. Now, we talked about our heart last week, but now we're going to talk about our body, mind, and soul. And so there's so much here. So I'm super glad that we get to talk about this, that we get to spend a little extra time on it and hopefully just have a really edifying conversation. But before we dive into that, I am super excited to announce that I am going to be teaching a webinar titled Awakening the Soul, the Habit of Attention as a Way of Waking Up to the World. Um, And it's going to be hosted by Autumn Kern of The Commonplace. So um, more details will be forthcoming, but I'm just really excited to get into this topic of what Charlotte Mason said was the pivotal essential quality of an educated person to be someone who has attention a good attention span, but also just the ability to observe and notice what is around you and how that connects to a deepening of our love and connection to the created world that God has made. So stay tuned for more on that. But 
And let to this well, let me just say, yep. if you have never attended one of Amanda's webinars, then this is really a treat. So I think we've mentioned this before, but if we haven't, consider the cause, which was hosted between you and Brandy Ventsel, was yep. such a gift. And that was a little over a year ago you did. And it was so formative for me personally in my homeschool. So this is something as a homeschool mom, I know you are a dear friend of mine, but I'm really looking forward to because you are very gifted at this. So I really appreciate that. You know, because I am, am a homeschool mom, I really hope to make it super practical because it's a topic that I'm just very interested in, right? We live in this time of having a fragmented attention. We all feel so divided and pulled in many directions. And so it really is a... a of interest to me and intrigue of, okay, but what do we do about that? How do we resolve this issue, this lack of attention that I know I experience deeply myself? And yet how can we heal heal that part of ourselves and hopefully um, just become the best version of ourselves that God has made us to be? But connected to that best version would be becoming a mother of virtue. So let's get right back to the cardinal virtues. Um, this exciting topic. I'm not going to go deep deeply over them again because like we said we already went over it in the first episode but just briefly i will restate them the four cardinal virtues just to remind you is prudence right that we need to think rightly about the world and respond accordingly it is justice that we have a duty right that we are not detached um, without obligation but that the world is created with an order and that border calls us to something um, the next one is fortitude right that we we in many ways are called to imitate our savior. We are called to die, to lay down our lives as a sacrifice of worship. And so fortitude is that willingness to do so, uh, to persevere and press through hard things. And then lastly, temperance, that taking all the parts and bringing them into harmony, into a whole, to know where each piece of our life fits and have it be, again, just rightly ordered to God, to ourselves and to creation. And so those are the four cardinal virtues that is the really the foundation for what we're talking about today. And now, last week we had mentioned, uh, we had talked about, not just mentioned, I should say, that this whole idea of those cardinal, four cardinal virtues as it pertains to the heart, to our affections. This week, we are going to be talking about three more categories. So our body, our mind, and our soul. So I'm going to start us off just by talking about ordering our body. And, and so when we think about what does a properly ordered body look like? This is something that it, that this is going to mean that we are physically ordered and that our appetites are ordered. But let me define what I mean by that. I think physically ordered, we can kind of have a, it's not too difficult to grasp that, right? That we're physically healthy, right? We're taking care of our body. We're nourished. We are exercised. We are fit for service, right? Um, when I talk about ordered appetites, that might be a little less familiar. That's not really the type of language we often use today. Um, but classically speaking, the appetites were your passions, your Appetites in the sense of, so hunger would be an appetite, um, lust would be an appetite, um, or we could even say right sexual desire might be a better way because all of these appetites have a right way and a sinful way, right? So there's a right ordering of your hunger and there's a sinful ordering of your hunger, right? Yeah. And so just each each of these things being oriented on generally the the median, the main, you know, the middle way of, right, not falling into gluttony and not starving ourselves, but to eat a proper amount, right? This would be a rightly ordered appetite. And so really the classical understanding of the appetites was that our body was a tool to train the appetites of our soul. Like our soul has these desire, a desire for knowledge. Our soul and our mind can be where we lust. Our soul and mind can be 
where um, we feel anger and all these passions, right? And yet our body is this tool that we train those things. Mm -hmm. So that's basically what we're looking at, what we're aiming at when we talk about having a properly ordered body. But then going back to our four cardinal virtues, really we need to take a step back and begin with prudence, right? So what reality do we need to take into account when we're thinking about our body? What truths do we need to respond to? And so I'm just going to rattle off a few truths about our bodies. These all are rooted in scripture. I will have the verses in the show notes, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to say the principles. Um, so our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body is a seed to be sown. Our body is a tool, like I said, that we will train our soul with. And our body is for fruitful labor. And so each of these pieces kind of come together to have a holistic vision of what our body is for, right? We, our body, this temporal body that we presently have, right, is not going to last forever. We will, in the future, receive a resurrected body that will live forever. This particular body that we have, we are sowing in corruption for it to be raised in incorruption. It's mainly the fall. And so that beautiful picture of we know this body is going to die, so we know this body is meant to be used up in many ways, right? As much as we will, we want to be good stewards of our body and take care of it. Uh, at the same time, our bodies are not meant to be this idol for us that we are holding on, to, just trying to keep in a state of perfection. Because of course, we all know from, you know, the woman at the grocery store who got way too much Botox, right? And when we see her, that you can't, no matter how hard you tried, you wouldn't be able to preserve this body. Um, and really as women, it's so good to renew our minds in the truth that our body is meant to be used, is meant to be poured out as a sacrifice, is meant to be really a love offering to our family and especially our children. Mm -hmm. um, more often than not, you know, as long as they are our biological children, that we do in fact physically carry them inside of our bodies and give our bodies to them. Mm -hmm. But even if our children are adopted, I mean, we're giving our bodies so that sleep deprived and getting up with them in, a, in the middle of the night and holding them through their night terrors or whatever it might be. So for women and, and as mothers, our bodies are so involved in the work God has called us to. Right. Um, so in such an intimate way. Yeah. And something that I think we just don't often think about in that way. I mean, just we can almost think about that verse that we hear. Okay, our bodies are a temple. And then maybe, you know, the other one that you mentioned of our bodies are meant to be a sacrifice. And then, but that's oftentimes as far as we go. Like we don't think about the ways in which we actually practically, how does that look for, just like you said, the examples of getting up through the night with children. I mean, that is a way. Or um, I just love that, just the image that you painted, because it's easy to like read those verses and think, okay, yes, yes. But then when our, you know, a circumstance isn't asking our bodies to perform in that way, we feel really selfish or we feel like this isn't what I want to do or this isn't, you know, but this is what our bodies are for, given to us to be able to do. Well, and I, that's why, so the word Aristotle used for it was the golden mean when I, what I was trying to get at earlier about that middle way, because I think I have often felt the tendency when, because I have struggled with being a good steward of my body, especially before I had children, I did not eat healthy. I was not faithful with exercise. That was something that came for me after children that I suddenly 
maybe not suddenly, <laughs> but slowly over time realize the value and importance of caring for my body as a temple. And so that's, that's a good thing. I'm thankful for that lesson. I'm thankful that that idea is rooted in scripture, that I should be taking care of my body um, and just keeping it serviceable, right? Keeping it able to be a benefit to my children and to my husband. Uh, at the same time, I know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Brooke, but like, I don't know why it seems like all the art, health articles about just the necessity of eight hours of sleep are popping up in my feed right as I'm like in the middle of sleep deprivation with an newborn. And I'm like, ah, you know, like suddenly you feel like, oh my gosh, like health and wholeness as my, as a human is being kept from me because I'm not getting enough sleep. Right. Like this physical cost to having a child is depriving me of a whole life, mm -hmm. of a healthy life. Mm. And so that's where I'm just so thankful for the church fathers. I'm thankful <laughs> for the lives of the saints. I'm thankful for missionary biographies of yeah. all, you know, I think of the warm brands. Uh, years ago, I read both Richard Warmbrand and Sabina Warmbrand's stories about being in prison camps in Romania. Like, I need those stories to remind me that my body is so much more. That it, it is a good thing to steward, but God is stewarding my body even through what, when he is calling me to sacrifice my body. Right. And that at exactly like that verse says we're, this body is sown in corruption mm -hmm. this body's gonna go into the grave you know assuming the lord doesn't come back this body is going into the grave and is going to disintegrate and yet my my resurrected body the gift of that future hope we have means that we can give our bodies so freely as mothers mm -hmm. and we can give it joyfully and even as we balance that stewardship of, okay, I am trying to take care of my body and, you know, make it serviceable at the same time. I don't have to be afraid of like, oh, but I'm giving too much. Yeah. It's like, no, you're giving in Christ and he is redeeming all of that giving for his glory and for your good. And so it's not something to be afraid of. With that, um, using that last week, we talked about using the atmosphere discipline in a life as ways to think about how are we living out these virtues in these particular areas. And so when we think about um, just some practical aspects of ordering our body rightly, um, you know, when I think of atmosphere with this, when I think because we're talking about our body and that's the most physical part of us, I think atmosphere can be a little more like vague. It's like, well, what would it look like to have like your body rightly ordered in, you know, in an atmospheric sense? Um, but I think something that I could say with that, even just my husband has been such a model to me is that when the atmosphere of our home is that we take care of our bodies and things like, oh, we exercise and, you know, we go for walks as a family, that those are essentially living ideas that get caught in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, my oldest two, who are eight and six right now, they just love to like throw on a YouTube video for exercising. And, you know, they'll be like, you know, oh, well, I just need to make sure I get my water for the day or they'll make little comments. And it wasn't that we ever were like, so eight year old and six year old, do you know <laughs> how important exercise is for your body? Like, we've never done that. Right. But because especially my husband set a tone in our family, like that he valued it and prioritized it and that then it, it was just in the air, right? It just got caught, influenced me, where then so it became much more of a priority in my life through his example, and then for our children as well. And so, you know, I think just it's that atmosphere is a reminder that what we really value is going to come through regardless. Right. And so what we value, whether that's overvaluing our body, if we were to be someone who idolizes our body, or someone who clearly is not taking care of their body and is not valuing it as God would value it. Both of those things will come through in an atmospheric way. And don't you love, I was going to say, don't you love, again, the the more that I read and learn even about, you know, Mason and, and these principles in that way, 
that she just knew whether we are super intentional or really unintentional, that, that this is what is shaping our families. Just what you said, that example of, because there's um, a ditch on either side, right? And that's what you were saying about the Aristotle quote of that, that middle way where we don't fall in like either ditch. And it's so easy because for, for so many of us, I think we're, you know, trying with God's help and by his grace and Holy Spirit, we're trying to come out of either of those ditches, you know, at, yeah. at this point in our life, right? And, and so we're trying to help order our families and their appetites in a way that for our kids, they can maybe stay on that middle way um, a little bit easier than maybe, maybe for us. Well, and I think you see some interesting ways the world responds to some of these ditches in terms of like the whole self-love movement, right? Like, oh, like look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself five things you love about yourself or these kind of like superficial ways or, you know, I'll see especially people with kids like I saw a lady on Instagram yesterday being like, I, you know, I'm trying to teach my daughter to love her belly rolls. And I'm like, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, that's, that's interesting. But on the other hand, I'm like, you know, I think I, I, I sympathize with that woman because I get that she's trying to get at this idea of like, she in her past was very disordered and idolatrous of her body. And of course she wouldn't use this language. This is a, an unbelieving woman, but, and, and so she now is trying to resolve that by kind of going the other ditch of, okay, well, we're just going to celebrate everything and it's all great and it's wonderful. And yet as women, this atmospheric part of how we relate to our body is extremely important, even in how, for me, like with relating to my daughters, right? right. You know, I think uh, many times my daughter has seen my stretch marks on my stomach, right? Mm -hmm. And it touches my heart every time because she always goes, having a baby is a really big job and it's really hard, huh, mom? And I would always be like, yeah, you know, it is, it can be very hard. I do have difficult pregnancies. And then she'll always pause and give me this really big smile. She'd be like, but it's worth it, huh? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, just like it's, it gives me chills when I think of like how much she believes. This. Yeah. Like she sees that my body has been sacrificed. She saw the months of me throwing up with our, with my younger, you know, with her younger siblings. Um, you know, she, she hasn't forgotten those memories. Right. And yet the living idea that is in her mind that is present in her mind is it's worth it. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day as moms, that is one of the most important messages we can give our children right. is that whatever sacrifices we're going to be making because we are, it's worth it. Yeah. And even just getting that to our children, you're worth it. Yeah. Like I regret a single stretch mark. I don't regret a single sleepless night because it means I get to be your mom and just the blessing of, and communicating to them the blessing they are and that they are worth even a physical sacrifice. Right. But that's picked up in the atmosphere, you know? Yeah. So that is just like, I love that. So then if we also think atmosphere, then discipline, right? Just habits, right? Um, we've kind of already hit on them, so I'm not going to go into this too much in depth, but obviously, you know, making exercise a priority, um, even just making nutrition a priority, right? That's the care of our body. A rightly ordered body will have rightly ordered hunger and taste. You know, that for us has looked like little things like we do orange juice on Saturday mornings with our egg burritos for breakfast, but the rest of the week we drink water or milk. Like, you know, we're trying to do little things that just are orienting us to have properly ordered thirst, properly ordered hunger. Um, you know, I think one area of weakness for us has been things like snacking, but it's something that I'm slowly trying to teach my kids, like trying to limit those snacks to be like, no, we're going to save our appetites for mealtimes. And that is a goal that hopefully by the time my kids are 
upper elementary, I do want them to be out of those habits of, you know, having to snack every two hours or whatever. It's not like they're going to die. And I'll have a chill, so to say. And all the moms are like, snacks. <laughs> it's not a thing. It's such a thing. But you're right. I mean, having, realizing, you know, I think this is one of those very practical things where, you know, because kids even age out of things, right? You know, what is appropriate for them at this age of development, you know, they kind of grow and their hungers are growing, all of that very practically. But then realizing, okay, how many moms know that when we get to meal times, right, nobody's hungry, but then they're going to be starving. And so having to like then trace back and say, okay, well, let's maybe remove morning snack and see how lunch goes, or let's remove evening snack and see how dinner goes and see if that, you know, it's such a just constantly having to change and realize, okay, are we depending too much on this thing? And then we're not properly, you know, for for all the things. But in particular, that is something that we are noticing in our house right now and something that we're having to really scale back and say, okay, this is something. Well, the hardest part of that is, you know, like, as I'm hearing you talk, the hardest part of that is that it requires fortitude. Yeah. Right? Because we have to be willing to go through at least for probably a week the suffering, the training. <laughs> He's like, why are you not giving me what I want? Yeah. You know, and it takes a lot of patience. Yeah. It takes a lot of directing and like choosing to be the joyful person in that and be right. like, look, no, this is hard for you, right. but I love you. you can do this. And, you know, that takes wisdom as a mom to know that your child right. is capable of making it that long. You know, like there's so many factors to weigh. It's not like one size fits all, but that's just part of being a mom. And I don't know. If, if you have noticed this, but even like having to think down to the foods that they're eating at those meals, like they need to be, um, I know for, for my boys in particular, they need to be high protein so that they can last until lunch, so to speak, or then last you until breakfast. <laughs> it's like cruel to be like, I say yes, I um, had um, one of my boys today even say, we cannot have cereal right now because we will be hungry in one hour. You know, it was just, and I'm like, I'm sure he has heard me say that because it is true that, you know, when you, and this is for me, right, this is for me in particular, but I have oftentimes, I, and we will get to this, and this is probably part of our body and mind and soul and all of the things, but I have a hard time with momentum in the morning. So I like a slow morning. I like to read. I like to drink my coffee. But what I have noticed, the older my boys have gotten, is that as they have started to age up, they are super helpful. And they have certainly taken on responsibilities of starting breakfast and training all of those things. But for me in particular, that if I am kind of sitting back, waiting, trying to enjoy, this is my time and all of that, then um, I am like very flustered in the, you know, or just a, just eat whatever simple. But then later it is harder because they are hungry. And, you know, in my mind, and just, again, this is for me personally, if I had just got up, fixed a proper breakfast, it would not have been as difficult later in the afternoon. Does that make sense? It's like I'm I'm in a, in a way making it harder for myself by trying to make it easy in the moment. When in fact, if I had just gotten up or woken up earlier or just prepared the night before, then um, it wouldn't feel so painful 
at the time. And so those are just, but those are how moms learn. Oftentimes it is through that trial and error and then realizing why, what is so hard about this? Like, what is it? What is the repetitive thing? Like, what is now that atmosphere and having to pinpoint that, that that has been something that's been very helpful where I've had to work back as you were talking about and say, what is it that I'm really wanting? And it's, I don't want anybody to interrupt me. Like, I don't want to be forced to do anything I don't want to do at this moment when in reality, I need to lay my life down for them feed them a proper breakfast and then you know kind of go about our day and then it's it's better for everyone everyone is happier um if i'm not trying to like hold on to this is my time and nobody mess with me so much of motherhood (laughs) is that right there yeah of like a willing a willingness to let go of our own desires and to do what is actually best in any moment you know, it's it's it is the struggle, right? It's the struggle against our flesh that, you know, we so often, you know, have our idea of what would be most enjoyable, yeah. and like you said, can often in, in that process sacrifice the best. Yeah. Um. You know, this reminds me a while ago. I heard, I I don't remember where, but I heard someone say something to the effect that discipline is doing now what your future self will thank you for, right? So have your fu- so be your present self so that your future self will thank you. <laughs> And I just love that idea because I like it has helped me sometimes to think like, what will I wish I had done in an hour? Yes. Or to, what will what right. do I wish I wish I had done? Um, right. And you know, it makes me think of Mason's principle with attention that uh, you know the reason she recommended a timetable for life was the and for education was because to teach the students and I, as I'm even saying this, I'm like uh, to teach the mom that not one moment is not as good as another. Right. right? That there. Are right times for certain work even as we're talking about this right. pertaining to the body right time for meals there's a right time for certain types of meals right even if you want to talk about the fun side of there's certain times that it is proper and yeah. fitting to have sugary you know cinnamon rolls for breakfast and right. yet that is not a day and that is not the typical day and so trying to find where is the proper ordering where is the right place for all of this um but like you said i think oftentimes as mom i know there are many things in life that through that hard lesson of learning, oh, this wasn't the best time. Right. So now tomorrow, like it's not worth it. Like it might have felt worth it for that little bit where I where, like you said, I got to savor my coffee a little longer. But the the consequence is yes. for the rest of the day. Yes. Ultimately meant that I have now learned the lesson. It's not worth it. <laughs> and then you just keep building on that momentum from there. Yeah. And then you just have to ask, and and this is what the Mason atmosphere principle, but even asking yourself, what characterizes our home? Like, is this now a habit that this is always happening? And I think that's when you have to then work back and say, you know what it is? Like every morning, I'm kind of feeling frustrated if you know they're asking for food but I'm still sitting you know and then working back to say okay well then I need to either wake up earlier or I just need to totally not do this until another time and owning that and saying I have to order myself in order to do this and that's hard to do but the wisdom of older moms being able to say, hey, have you tried upping their protein? That's really helpful. Have you tried waking up earlier so that you're not feeling like they're taking something from you? And, you know, it's just just a wrong way to be thinking about it in 
you know, to begin with, but um, we just kind of go there in our minds. It's just kind of there. Well, and even as I'm, as we're talking about this, you know, the reason we started with becoming a mother of virtue was because yes. you can't transmit to your child what you do not possess. Right. And so really even this example that we've been talking about of like children with snacks, right? We're trying to transmit to them the virtue of fortitude. We are. We want them to be able to persevere. And yet there's so there's two ways we could come at that, right? We could just be like, well, suck it up, buttercup. Like, you know, like you're not getting a snack and deal with it. Yeah. And be really about right. it. Or you could come alongside them and be comforting and encouraging and be like, look, I know, you know what? Sometimes it's hard for me to wait too, but I'm so proud of you. I know you can do this. Mom is here. We're going to make it 30 more minutes and then you can, you know, we'll make lunch early or whatever it is to help coach them and be there for them. But, you know, there's, I just, I know I always need that reminder that these, these are all things that we don't want to make an adversarial relationship, right. but we want to approach as a nurturing, a training, a coming, coming alongside mm. because, you know, even just little things like waiting an extra 30 minutes to eat for them, children don't have the same perspective right. as adults. Right. You know, we all know when they're putting their shoes on and it takes 10 minutes and we're like, we need to get out the door. And they're like, what are you talking about? Everything. Life is just going. Yeah, there's right here, you know. But you know, so we have to keep remember their frame. You know, I I love that verse where it talks about how the Lord knows our frame that we are but dust. And how much as parents do we need to remember our children's frame? Yeah, so as we're trying to order our home and order our habits, and then we're bringing our children in to participate with us in this right ordering of their bodies and our bodies together. Um, it takes a lot of compassion and patience yeah. and just sympathy their little persons and I would say it is important and to think about that hey if you are in a place where there is like a lot of struggle or brain fog or just you're not functioning at your optimal level then um, that is something for me personally that I within the last year I had had to go and really get a full workup of my labs because there were just some things not connecting. I was getting enough sleep. I was trying to eat properly. And I just had, you know, some deficiencies that, you know, that is something that I think a lot of moms um, were just not aware of to be thinking about or looking about or researching even. And so I would just highly recommend um, that, hey, if, if, if you are doing your best to order your life and then there are still some real challenging places, then it would really would be probably wise to maybe go and have some blood work done and check your hormones and do all of that and just really see kind of where you're at. Because for me, it was really dire. I was at such a low, I had such a deficiency that I was about borderline like needing um, an iron transfusion. And then my doctor was like, hey, this is why you felt, I mean, all of the symptoms I had. And I was like, well, that's interesting. You know, so we are now working together and made a couple shifts in my diet. But um, so I would just say that that's a real thing that like if you are not properly nourishing yourself, um, you're in a way just making it more difficult for you just to function. Well, and I think you bring up an important point because I think it's really easy to get caught up if we are talking about that we are sacrificing our bodies. Right. Um, and I think many mothers, that is the default, is we're going to sacrifice our bodies. We're going to sacrifice our nutrition. We're going to sacrifice our workout. Everything else, you know, all of the things coming to the caring of our body mm -hmm. often go for the sake of trying to minister the needs of our family. That's one bit. That's, 
That's when actually I go ditch. And so the thing about that is that at the same time, there is no glory in needless suffering, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're just causing yourself, you know, causing yourself, but you are, you know, sacrificing in ways that God isn't calling you to, you're just making your own life hard and then feeling like a martyr because of it. Right. That's not that's not godliness either that's not virtuous to become this martyr of you know yes i just feel terrible all the time and i'm always exhausted it's like we really need to examine am i these things because yes god has called you know okay am i mildly sleep deprived or maybe majorly sleep deprived because i'm waking up with a newborn okay yeah god called me to that mm -hmm. am i fatigued because i'm super deficient in these minerals or this right. like a completely different situation that's yeah. readable that's fixable. And again, just to be serviceable, the best serviceable version of ourselves we can be, we should get those things back. Right. I had the same experience with different but similar issues yeah. where um, I, I, my last two children I had with a midwife mm -hmm. and that just shifted my conception of health. Mm -hmm. And they really emphasized taking ownership and responsibility for what I ate. Yeah. And they you said had did my blood work and I had certain deficiencies and I had a genetic mutation that I wasn't aware of and yeah. all these things that now because I have that information it's not that I'm perfect now but I have was necessary to know what is needed when I am feeling a little more under the weather yeah. versus other times right I think just what you said it's just a tool that's needed that by God's grace he has given wisdom and that we need to and now, you know, um, there are so many really good things online where you can really kind of look and learn about better ways to eat, more holistic ways to eat, all of that. And um, not trying to be in any way prescriptive of like, here's how we think you should eat, because that's going to, you know, d depend on you as a person and certainly your kids as well. But just to be aware of that, that was something that for me, Amanda, was not really ever taught. I mean, I have had to learn it and since becoming a mom and in the last few years have just been like, oh, this this really does matter and it really will help you be a more delightful human to the people closest to you if you're caring for this part of your body. Yeah. Well, and it, and it is so connected to our care of them, you know? Yes. For years, my family had uh, just tummy problems every time they drank a glass of milk. And yet they were babies, so they wanted milk. <laughs> and turns out, switching to raw dairy, all the problems are gone. Right. So it's like just little things. of, But it took a long time of just, like you said, reading online, trying to Google symptoms, trying to be like, why is it only in this context? But, you know, if they eat pizza, for example, they're fine. Like, you know, like I was trying to like, yeah. like look into all these things. And ultimately, that's where it's not our job to solve the health issues of the world. Yeah. We just need to worry about the health of those who we're responsible right. for. Yeah. Our children, our spouse, our husband, um, and all that. But we could keep talking about this for a while, but we got to keep moving. Yeah. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just, I will just throw in as bullet points briefly that uh, ordering your body can also be so many other things. I, I mentioned about ordering your appetites, right? An embodied piety. And so, Chrysostom talked about how our flesh, we tuner the flesh to be in harmony with the spirit. And so that's the spiritual disciplines. That would be fasting. That might be kneeling while you pray. There are different ways that you can look to your Christian tradition to see what ways, what tools do I have in my tradition to order my body rightly towards God and bring my body in harmony with my spirit, right? Which is seeking to worship God. So that's a really great thing to think about, you know, um, 
when you're dealing with a disordered passion like anger, for example, right? Just little things with your body, right? Bending down to look your child in the eye might be one idea. Keep intentionally keeping your voice quieter than usual so that you don't raise it and get, you know, give into an angry voice. Um, not allowing yourself to clench your jaw or, you know, do things with your physical person <laughs> that are eating that feeling of, you know, anger that is inside, right? Trying to communicate. There have been times because this is definitely my ditch that I can struggle with impatience. And so I know that something that has really helped though is when I think I need to act like I'm calm with my body. Yes. And then my heart catch up. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not kidding. Sometimes it's within 15 yeah. seconds. Yeah. Like it's it, there are always these moments where I have two paths before me. I can give in to the passion and the irritation and the frustration and the rude voice and the, you know, tenseness. Or I can say, no, I'm going to act with my body like I am, like I have the peace of Christ right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what do you know? In 15 seconds or one minute, I do in fact have the peace of Christ. And so this is just, I wish we had gotten to talk about that more, but we do need to move on. But yeah. I did want to bring that, that just that reminder that if you are struggling with a certain passion or sin of whatever it might look like, be thinking, well, is there something I could do with my body to change this? Mm-hmm. Right. Is there something I could do with my body that might help me mm-hmm. fight this? Um, yeah. And then lastly, I will mention just because, you know, could we even be Charlotte Mason educators if we did not mention handiwork, which <laughs> involves your, which is a part of work. So I will throw that out there that learning skills, I will say I regret so much that I was, I was married for four years before I had my oldest. And I'm like, what was I doing with that time? I should have been crafting the world away. Like I could have learned so many skills and I did not. So if you are a young mom listening, um, take that to heart, go yeah. learn some skills, yeah. how to make the world beautiful. Like yep. that is a, a unique part of our calling as women is to beautify this world God has made to beautify our homes to make things lovely for those we love. And so whether that's sewing, embroidery, chalk or pencil drawing, painting, clay, flowers, crochet, you know, flower arrangements is what yeah. I meant. Uh, these are all just different ways that you yeah. could, skills you could practice. And of course, even if you already have your kids, like I do, uh, you can be right there with them. My daughter's in an art class and I'm just constantly, you know, I help her while I'm in class. And then that night I'm at, yeah, I'm working on right. what we learned in class myself. So in 20 years, I might be able to draw. Yeah, <laughs> if I right. just doing my children's art class. Yeah. Okay, so Brooke, the next thing we want to talk about is ordering the mind, our intellect. So yeah. talk to us about that. That means right. So what does an ordered intellect look like? So think about wisdom, broad thinking, being sympathetic, attentive, imaginative, creative. And just as Amanda started with this last point but remember prudence here you cannot be an ordered person without ordering your mind because all proper ordering of ourselves begins with right knowledge now amanda you mentioned this just a little bit ago but just to clarify that this will be a spectrum of course because think about if you have a newborn then newborn season of life is a different type of mom brain than you know, where I'm at in the stage with my kids' ages. And so having, you know, just that understanding that th- this is something that really is a spectrum and depending on what season you're in, maybe you're in a season even of um, like a really hard season with just a loss or a grief of some kind, or you've just added a new baby, that all of this kind of you know, plays a part. And so we just want to like clarify that. But one of the things that's really helpful to think about is in Proverbs 9, where we have just the image of Lady Wisdom, 
And in particular, one verse in there um, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And I just love that because at the end of the day, if I am just really (laughs) struggling with ordering my mind rightly or having right thoughts, thoughts that will then produce right action, it is just that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, And it made me think of when Paul wrote, even in Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And how are our minds renewed? Like, what is that, right? Because in that statement, he's then, you know, the next question you would naturally ask is, okay, well, how do we do that? In some ways, it's obviously foundational is scripture itself. I mean, we know that it is God's word that um, is alive and active. And so that would be my first, you know, recommendation is um, we need to be women who are in God's word and are being conformed to the word um, who is Christ himself. And so just having that, but then also through reading really good books. So we become broad people whose thoughts, sympathies, and wisdom far extends ourselves when we are choosing really good books and ideas to be thinking on. And I have to be honest and say that this is not something I did well. So I did not um, for probably the majority of my life with Christ. So I was um, saved at 19. So I came to faith in Christ much later in life, in my mind, like much later. All of my like formative years were um, not. And so I kind of read what I would say is just kind of practical theology books, you know, just kind of here's the truth about God and here's how you can practice it. Here's a thing about God and here's how you can practice it. So um, in a way it felt like it was working, like some, like I was doing something or I was whatever you would say, you know, it just kind of felt in the moment like, okay, this is helpful. I'm growing. But what I did not realize is that in doing that and not thinking deeply or reading widely or really thinking of other ideas, I was really um, like malnourished. Is just, I mean, just what we were talking about with our actual bodies and food, uh, my imagination and therefore my mind, my thoughts, my then actions, everything was very malnourished. And I did not realize that until I started educating, you know, so until my oldest was getting about that um, Kinderleben five years old when I was then really entering um classical education that I realized, okay, um, I've not been reading, not well, or at least not widely. And it was actually um, both of our our dear friend, Autumn Kern, who challenged me to read fiction. Now here's just me full full on confession. I thought that it was a waste of time. That... If I had such limited time to be reading, why would I be reading fiction or, you know, something else? Like clearly, if I have very limited time and I'm going to read the Bible, you know, and then if I'm going to read anything else, surely it should be something, you know, that is going to like be practical and helpful and growing. And so that was, I'm not joking, probably for eight years, I really didn't read anything else. And so um, she challenged me to start reading fiction. And so I began with the Chronicles of Narnia, of course. And God just absolutely got bigger. My world got bigger. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was so 
transformative and I don't mean that in any other way but to sound dramatic quite literally it absolutely just made God bigger and I before then would have told you um, I don't think it could have done that and certainly by my actions I didn't think it could and so one of my favorite quotes is by C.S. Lewis in um, his book Experiment Experiment in Criticism and this is what it says and then Amanda I want to hear your thoughts um, after this quote those of us who have been true readers all our life seldom fully realize the enormous extension of our being which we owe to authors we realize it best when we talk with an unliterary friend. He may be full of goodness and good sense, but he inhabits a tiny world. In it, we should be suffocated. The man who is contented to be only himself and therefore less a self is in prison. My own eyes are not enough for me. I will see through those of others. Reality, even seen through the eyes of many, is not enough. I will see what others have invented. In great literature, I become a thousand men and yet remain myself. Like the night sky in the Greek poem, I see the myriad eyes, but it is still I who see. Here, as in worship, in love, in moral action, and in knowing, I transcend myself and am never more myself than when I do. Amanda. C.S. <laughs> He knows how to write a word. Yes, he does. He just truly does put words to this idea of how ourselves, our being, can grow, yeah. can expand, can become yeah. bigger. And I think we experience that in many ways beyond even just books, but we certainly experience it in books. And it's just such an encouraging reminder, you know, I think especially as women who are often at home, right? We're often at home for large chunks of our days, if not um, our lives, especially if we're stay-at-home moms. And yet the danger, the ditch of that could be that we just become all consumed with the four walls of our house and what's happening here and not thinking bigger, not thinking outside of it. And, um, you know, this reminds me of Charlotte Mason's what is it her article on mother culture did she write that actually now that i'm saying that that mother culture article was that her or just by the i think it was just parent yeah the parents parent you yeah. yeah so there's the parents review article called mother culture i don't remember now who it was written by but she talked about the danger of mothers who are so invested in the little years with their children and mm -hmm. it is all consuming to them and that then when their children become teenagers Basically, their children don't respect them. Yeah. Right. Because they are, they don't have much to share with them. They basically stayed, they were kept small. They were kept limited by just focusing on babyhood and the sweetness of that season. It is very sweet. But because they didn't have what C.S. Lewis is describing, this extension of their being, then they basically lose out on the amount, on opportunity for relationship and connection as their children grow older. Right. I think that's a, a good warning to take to heart in terms of it would be really easy to justify and even glorify not reading, not taking time to grow our intellect. It can feel even selfish to be like, I'm going to take 30 minutes. You know, in that article, she said, take 30 minutes a day. Pick a hard book, a medium book, an easy book. Pick whichever one um, that you feel like that day. 
Uh, and that could feel selfish. It right. could sound, and of course there is a way in which it could be selfish, For right? Sure. If everything's falling apart and you're like, my time or, you know, everybody yeah. will suffer. I can get my 30 minutes. That would be bad. Right. But just a principle that, no, I need to invest 30 minutes a day into, yeah. to, into, my in, oh goodness, into my intellect as a gift to give to others. Because as I extend myself, I can give myself more as a gift to others. Yeah. Man, that's so good. Because... One of the goals of this is to have a strong power of attention. And if you are feeling like you do not, then please wait. In a couple of weeks, there will be a class that you can take. But to solve all your attention problems. <laughs> it probably will. But um, a broad imagination, the ability to memorize beautiful words, a strong memory, and just intellectual fortitude. I mean, this is something that you that is very natural for children in these wonder years. I mean, this is just what they do. And just like all the things that we have said, that this is the atmosphere piece, that they will love the things that they see you loving. So you memorizing, um, you thinking on things, you sharing with them. And, um, you know, there was, we are, have a small group that meets at our house. And one of the things we are doing as adults is memorizing um, scripture each week. And so my boys are, you know, doing that. And so I asked them, you know, they don't know the verse, you know, that I was memorizing with our small group, but I just in practice said, Hey, can I say it to y'all? And just in that little bit of, you know, mommy is also doing this. Um, I think is just shaping too, that it's not just something we're asking you do because I say to do it, but it is a mommy is also doing this and valuing this. And this is important work. Even when you get to my age, it's something I still hope that you're doing. And so modeling that is very important. I think this is where children can be a lesson to us oh, because yeah. children naturally display that craving for an extension of their being. Yes. Right. Like when they are with like I, I noticed that in particular after moving back home to live close by family is that they're always asking my family questions. Right. Yeah. They want to know about parents and my about their parents and, you know, where did they live and what did they do? And just every time they're with their uncles and their aunts, they're asking them a million questions. And there's just something about the child that it so naturally unfolds yeah. that they want to grow. They want to connect and form these relationships and they want to participate in the grand or the grand largeness of the world, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it. And so I don't know, just as a mom, I'm like, I, I want to be instructed by that lesson that I, I have the opportunity to do that, especially, you know, being old enough to read <laughs> through books, yeah. through this intellectual pursuits, like you said. Yes. And so some of those ways is just in the atmosphere of your home, um, have books everywhere. Now, if you're like super organized and all the things just get some baskets if you don't have a ton of shelves and space so this is something that can happen you know no matter how big your space is um, but have books everywhere in every room easy to grab easy to get to one of the things we did very early on and um, it is still something that we're using but the boys had access to books at any time any point of the day and then we had um, you know, kind of their other toys in baskets. And certainly now as they have gotten older, we kind of do a little bit of a rotating system where some toys go away 
and then some other ones are out. But um, having books available at all times, there's no limit on what they can pull out and look at and read. But as far as some other toys, um, those kind of go away for a little bit. Or once this toy is pulled out, then this is what you're playing with. And then this has to be cleaned up before anything else comes out. And that probably sounds very like uptight. I don't know how it's like being conveyed. Um through your ears, but through your ears, but it is okay. So it is just something that, um, because I know myself well enough to know, I get very overstimulated very easily. And so does my husband. And so this was something very early on. It's very easy to have overwhelming toys and amounts and things. And, um, it was just something we kind of very early on said, Hey, there's going to be a rhythm to this and there's going to be a little bit of a, you know, way about it. And it is just something that I can say now with my oldest at seven and my youngest at five, it is now just, they just kind of know. They know if I pull this out, we play with it. We have a good time. We put it up, it goes back, but books are everywhere and they can, you know, be out and they're free to read and look through and all of that. And so that's just like one example. I think that in the atmosphere you know, they see my husband and I reading and whether you're someone who really loves to read or you're really trying to grow that muscle, um, start with something really small. And just um, as Amanda said, you know, pick 15 minutes, 30 minutes and just start reading through something. Read with them. Read some of their books. Some of the if you are reading some of the classic children's books, those are the best places to start to really start to grow your own um hunger and desire to be reading so those would be just some like practical examples um I don't know if you have any that you would add to that um I'll add one thing since we recently moved for us we always had a tv in the living room yeah and in our new house for for a variety of factors for a variety of reasons it just wasn't going to work well it wasn't going to look right yeah for us to have us basically orienting the whole room the whole living area towards the television there was really no way to do it in this space without doing that and so my husband and I made the decision to have no tv downstairs and just keep the downstairs space just free of that and basically screen free and I think especially because we are people who do enjoy movies, it's not something that we've completely cut out. It was a really good boundary to put that, you know, this is where we spend most of our time. And when we're in this space, we're not looking at screens. We're spending time together. We're reading books. You know, we're sitting at the table, playing a game, whatever it might be. But this space is just away from the noise and even just the visual noise of screens. So I think that has been a very productive thing for us since we have opted to not just completely get rid of television. I know some people do that and I have mad respect for them who do, but um, my husband loves film. And I think in fact, very classical and wonderful about how he walks our children through. Oh, it's not that I would want us to not have that in our home, but um, it was good. And I think wise to have some boundaries with that because we could. Yeah. But just thinking like, I mean, just thinking, of ways, just like you said, just, you know, thinking of how can we utilize this space and, you know, keep this thing because that is, it, it sounds so similar. My husband loves family movie night, like Friday movie night. He loves that experience with the boys. I'm probably more of the one that could be done with it for good altogether. Um, but at the same time, like we, they kind of know at this point that they're not, you know, um, 
yeah, it's not just free screen time. And so there's a place for it and a time for it. And so now at this point, they, they're not asking constantly, you know, because they know when to expect it. They know, you know, when we're going to do this, when we're going to participate and it's going to be fun and enjoyable and we're going to, you know, love it, that that just becomes not so much of an issue if that makes sense. And so those are just some of the examples um, when thinking about this, but um, just a few others, um, the discipline of habit. So this is something um, we could talk about on and on and on and on, but um, really you as a mom limit your short form content. And an example of that would be what you are taking in on articles, blogs, social media, television, TV shows, kind of just a lot of things, and I don't know if this is true for you, Amanda, but there's like real studies now that show that the more we are just constantly intaking this shorter form, bite-sized, quick, very um, fast-paced, that we really lose our ability to read like longer passages and comprehend. So something truly going from a scrolling on a screen to then a page that is black and white it really is harder for us. And I know you're probably going to talk about some of that in your webinar coming up. But so really having that awareness and then making some conscious steps to say, okay, let's really minimize this so that we have the time and the place and the mental capacity to then really read. Do you have yeah. any thoughts? That's a great, a great tip. That was something... Uh, Mo my my three middle children I had social media and so with my most recent baby I just hmm. I had how that had been a time suck especially when you're sleep deprived and tired of default to scroll and I think oftentimes I would justify it because I felt like well I'm like following good people and they're saying interesting things but then when I paused to like really examine like okay what is like one thing I could name yeah that in a like a good fruit that I've actually gone and done because I saw someone tell me on social media and when I took account of my life and I'm sure this is not true for everyone sure. for me that no I was basically listening to a bunch of people say some great things and moving on with my life <laughs> right. and not the application and and so with my my son when he was born I just opted to just delete it off my phone so that I would just enjoy that season of being a baby and I still have a kindle on my phone so it's not that I was never uh, looking at it. I, I do read on my phone, but you know, it was just, it, it exactly like you said, it surprised me yeah. how, I wonder how much I had been attributing my lack of attention span at certain seasons to, oh, well, cause I have a new baby, you know, mom brain. But when I actually wasn't allowing myself to partake in short form content, particularly in that sleep deprived state, I did notice a very big difference wow. that despite being tired, I was tired. And yet my attention span was still much improved just because I was on reading books and you know even articles I think are great but um yeah I experienced that for sure right so yep so just moving on just a few more things um we will put in the show notes that mother culture essay that we mentioned a little bit more because one of the things and this is my reading habit so I don't know if yours is different Amanda but um I have three books a hard a medium and an easy so at any point of the day when I have a set amount of time I can really pick up what mentally I'm able to handle in that moment and read it for that time and I have found that to be an excellent practice to be really 
thinking and reading and moving through books um, to be really helpful. And then I read at night, every single night. So I read myself to sleep, I guess. And the same, I will just pick one of those three books that I'm working through of which one tonight. I will have to say I can't really read fiction at night because I stay up way too long and then I'm not I'm not very helpful in the morning time or then I struggle with ordering my um, body the next morning. So I have had to say fiction has to be in the daytime. Yeah, I love that. I feel that very much. Yeah, but you know, um, I am much more of a scattered brained reader. I just pick up everything and I read it and I'll read a chapter and I'm narrating it to my husband and I'm zealous about it. And then he's like, oh, well, I have to read it now. And then my book disappears and I don't have it anymore because he's it. So, you know, I wish I was as formal as, oh, my three books. And I'd probably get through books faster if I did that. But no, I'm so, I'm just constantly picking up different books and I'll read a few chapters and, you know, I get through them eventually, but yeah. definitely can take a while because I'll, It'll remind me of this concept that I had been reading over here. And so I go back to that, but reading that one for a little bit. And then it's making me look up that thing that that church father said. And I just, I'm all over the place. I have just hilariously long commonplace. I was about to, I was literally about to say, but we should have a whole episode on just Amanda's commonplacing. It is next level of, it's amazing. Uh, well, you know, it depends on what you, I guess, judge it by because it is all in a Google Doc. So I will be honest. I do actually also have a narration notebook. So that is handwritten. But um, I feel like it's like a classical faux pas to even admit that mine is online. But I would never be able to find the quotes again if I didn't put it in somewhere where I could switch. We can so. find the quotes so fast where I'm like trying to flip through my notebooks and be like, it was somewhere. It was somewhere. And um, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, different ways of doing things. But yeah. is there anything else you want to say before we move on? No, to I think that's it. I think um, we're ready for you to wrap us up. Yeah, you know, I'm going to have to take us through this at a breezy pace. <laughs> so I'm going to keep it really simple. Yeah. But when we talk about ordering our soul, uh, the the classical approach that I wanted to just bring to the table for this discussion is this threefold concept of activity contemplation and relaxation so obviously our soul is the part of us we bring to everything right our soul is our will our affections our love so in many ways many of the things we have already talked about and so there's so much overlap here this is not like these are neat categories you know like i know you've mentioned reading the bible multiple times it's like yeah because well literally reading the bible applies to every single thing we've talked about right um so not less with personal piety in your soul um, but because you already covered that, I want us to just use that threefold category to kind of think about how are we spending our times and what ways are we directing our souls in the use of our time. So first of all, with activity, that is symbolized historically. The church fathers would talk about that symbolized by Martha, right, that she was working. She was a hard worker. She was laboring and serving people. And while, of course, we know in the story that uh, the Lord did correct her because she quickly pointed at Mary and said, look at my sister. She's not helping me. Um, the church fathers often bring up that it was not that Martha was in sin to be working. Working and labor is a necessary and good part of the human life. And so we should be active. We should be working with our hands. These are good things. But if all we ever did was work, then we would be utilitarian. And so this is where contemplation or 
leisure or if you um, have ever heard the word scole tossed around in the classical world, right? This restful learning. Scole is, of course, the, the root word of our modern word school. And those things seem to have nothing to do with each other anymore. But originally it meant restful learning. It meant taking time to discuss ideas, to read good books, to discuss and converse with other people about those ideas often over good food and drink. As Dr. Christopher Perrin often says, uh, I love that. I love that idea of the way that people and conversation and ideas and food all just pair together for this rest contemplation. You know, it makes me think of the Sabbath, right? Our Sunday, yep. we, we worship the Lord and then we come home from church and um, in our family, we rest. We some some of us are taking naps, some of us are reading, but it's just this sweet time. And then usually we'll gather for Sunday night dinner and have lots of conversation because there's so much to talk about coming from that place of rest. And so, um, I think that really is captured. Oh, and I should say, of course, that that was symbolized by Mary, right? Mary, Martha's sister, that she was the one who sat at the feet of Christ. And so, um, I love this Seneca, um, who was actually, oh, what was he? I'm trying to remember that word for when somebody had a stoic. Okay. Seneca was a stoic. So, you know, um, but he had some writings that the church fathers preserved because he really touched on some very Christian truths without, without being a Christian, without realizing it. So he actually wrote something called On the Private Life. And this is what he said. He said, the contemplative cannot contemplate without action. The man of action cannot act without contemplation. And so you see how these two things should fit together. They should go together in our lives. And then there's this third category, though, that is necessary to acknowledge because we don't live our whole lives working and we don't live our whole lives in this very active, contemplative, um, you know, leisurely learning mode. But we also at times have to relax. And I love this uh, this phrase I heard a while ago that says Re relaxation is to nurture our disposition and love for God. So our spiritual, intellectual, and physical muscles need time to rest and recover. And that is what relaxation is for. And so it's not that we can never relax. It's not that we can never, you know, enjoy a good movie like we talked about earlier. Or, you know, obviously reading books or fiction books is very relaxing many of the times. But just remembering that even our relaxation is to be ordered rightly towards God. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I think that I need to be reminded of, especially going back years ago, I think I shared in our last podcast that 10 years ago, there were things that I knew I loved that I shouldn't love and things that I didn't love that I knew I should. And that definitely came down to this category of entertainment and relaxation. I think I had this, I knew that I was supposed to like what the Christian life looked like when it came to my contemplation of, oh, I need to be reading my Bible and I need to be praying. And, and I knew, oh, well, I need to work hard. I need to be faithful and disciplined in my work to honor God. So I, I had those categories down, but then it was almost like I left Christ at the door when I walked in my room to relax. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I would encourage anyone listening to just consider that even our entertainment should be orienting us towards the good. Yeah. Um, you know, I was reminded last night at my Charlotte Mason book club of an old show. It's called Lark Rises to Candleford. <laughs> and it was something I watched like years ago with my family. And it's just a wholesome, sweet show. It's, you know, it's not deep. It's not that it's some complex, you know, like intellectual labor to, to watch the show. And yet it was just wholesome, sweet goodness that you came away wanting to love people better because the was a lover of people and you wanted to make some cups of tea because she was always talking about tea right and so you know I 
something like that, right? It was simple. There was nothing over the top about it. It was easy. And yet it still was orienting me towards the right. um, even thing as relaxing as a show. And so just a thing to consider as we think about our relaxation. Um, you know, with all this, I wanted to share a quote from Charlotte Mason that just really gets to the point of it. She says, life should be all living and not merely a tedious passing of time. Not all doing or all feeling or all thinking. The strain would be too great, but all living. That is to say, we should be in touch wherever we go, whatever we hear, whatever we see, with some manner of vital interest. And so, you know, there's a lot I could say about what it might look like to form our habits or to be uh, pursuing life-giving ideas in what we're doing uh, for this idea of personal piety. But I think we've talked about a lot of things today that really plant enough seeds that you could probably flesh that out for yourself in your own life. So the one final thing I, I want to say before we uh, get to our conclusion is that early motherhood is a golden season for prayer. Mm-hmm. So with personal piety, with this work and labor and relaxation, there actually is an old Latin phrase, orat a, orat a labor, which is pray and labor, right? Pray and work. And truly, the, the life of a mother is ultimately so fitted for the life of prayer, probably better than any other vocation beside maybe being a monastic <laughs> because we're home. We're often in situations where we couldn't do anything but pray. We're holding a baby. We're comforting someone with our hands. And so, um, you know, I just would love to end on that encouragement as we think about ordering our soul and our personal piety that God has given us so many opportunities that if we just embrace those moments as opportunity for prayer mm. that suddenly so much time that could feel quote unquote wasted is redeemed. Right. It's redeemed through the love we're giving to the child we're holding, but it's also redeemed through this opportunity to commune with God and to show our love for him. But last spring I was listening to a pastor give a Lenten lesson as I worked on household chores. His words rang in my ears, keep the fast, but if you do not keep the fast, receive the lesson of humility. This principle not only gave me the tool to think rightly about the ups and downs of pursuing the spiritual disciplines, but has become a peg for all of my life. Never stop pursuing truth, goodness, and beauty, but when you fail to live up to the lofty ideals these standards set, because you will, receive the lesson of humility. As we have spent the last two weeks talking about becoming a mother of virtue, we would be the first to acknowledge that this collection of ideals is more than any one mother could fully live up to, certainly more ideals than I have been able to live up to. And in these modern times, I recognize that this approach is a bit unpopular. It would be more in vogue for us to talk about how free you are in Christ to not worry about pesky old things like ideals, impossible, unachievable standards that they are. But just like a good pastor would never tell you that fasting doesn't matter, we are here to say that this work of ordering our hearts, bodies, minds, and souls really does matter. We have sought to distill these episodes down to valuable ideas that will help you on the great pilgrimage of being a mother. And yet, because I assume you are a fallible, finite human like myself, you will not be able to do it all. Receive the lesson of humility. And to this humility, add joy and delight and thanksgiving. For as Charlotte Mason says in school education, let us try, however imperfectly. Thank you for joining us today as we sought to participate in the great conversation. You can find our show notes for today's episode, including all the quotes and book titles mentioned, by heading over to the Wonder Years podcast substack. If you have any questions regarding today's episode, we would love to hear from you at wonderyearspodcast at gmail.com. In addition, we would so appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Finally, you can find both of us on Substack, 
My Substack is titled A Classical Woman and Brooks is a Pilgrim's Way. Brooke is also on Instagram at her handle underscore Brooke Johns. Cheers, friends. Until next time. <laughs>